Welcome back to the third year of the Netflix podcast, Present Company. I'm your host, Krista Smith. This season, we have something really special for you. I'll be exploring the universal human emotion with our guests. Fear, a word that has gathered new meaning for many of us over the past year. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm delighted to be sitting down with Halle Berry to talk about her directorial debut, Bruised. The film stars Halle as Jackie Justice, a disgraced MMA fighter who returns to the cage to seek redemption after the son she had given up as a baby suddenly re-enters her life. From her historic Best Actress win for Monsters Ball to her iconic Bond girl moment in Die Another Day, Hallie has become a household name over the past three decades. Her reputation of going above and beyond to physically prepare for her roles has also made her a beloved action star. However, Bruce takes Hallie's commitment to a whole new level, requiring her to balance the pressure of a first-time director with the training schedule of an MMA fighter. So here she is to share all the details with you, the one and only Halle Berry. Halle Berry, it is always a delight to see you whenever I see you, but I'm especially excited to talk to you about this film, Bruised, which you star in, which we're all accustomed to seeing you star in movies. But the first here is that you directed this film. I was remembering this moment at a restaurant in Los Angeles, and I think it was the end of 2018, and I ran into you, and you were so excited because you were telling me you were about to direct your first film. Yes, Do you remember I remember that? We were at that restaurant. We were at, where were we? It we was were Sunset on, Tower. On Sunset. Yep. Yes, Sunset Tower. Yes. You remember of that? Of course I remember. I was like, oh, my God, Halle Berry's going to direct a movie. It was so exciting. We kind of talked about it. And then here we are. I was at Vanity Fair then. Now I'm at Netflix. This film is at yeah. Netflix. And you have directed your first film. So congratulations. That's incredible. I am not someone that watches boxing. I don't really know the difference between the UFC and the MMA and the cage fighting and all that stuff. I don't know the nuances of it, but I know great acting and great effort and great storytelling when I see it. And this film has all of that. And so I felt like I learned something while I watched it. And being a woman that is middle-aged, not all of us have the benefit of looking like you look. You seem to defy age, but you are you own your space. And it was incredible to see a movie not about a 25-year-old getting a second chance at life or something. I love the fact that it was a woman who has lived life, who is in middle age, and she has to reconcile with herself about right. what is the back half of her life going to look like. And no one's going to help her get there but herself. And I loved it, and I've got chills just talking about it. Oh, Krista, uh, thank you. Oh, my God. Just the way you received it is is the, is what I could have only hoped, you know, people would take away from it. Because all the things you said were all the things that, you know, I thought about and I grappled with and I wanted to infuse this story with because they're, it's a very female point of view and it's things that matter to us, right? You know, ageism, all of that stuff matters to us. And I felt like seeing a woman fight for a last chance was so much more impactful than another chance. You know, when you're young, we have lots of chances. But when you get middle-aged, sometimes you get down to, you have one last chance. You, you know, you may not get another shot at something. You may not get a shot at redemption. You may not get a chance. 
And so I thought that would be much more um, impactful and a, more of a meaningful journey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it is. Even though it's set in the world of female fighting, I felt like it had a universal message of what it takes to give yourself opportunities. And yeah. I think that kind of perfectly segues into, we know Hollywood. We've been around this town for a long time. We know it is a brutal business. You know, there's ups, there's downs. Getting this film made, I'm sure, had a lot of that because I've been reading that originally it was written for, you know, a 25-year-old white Irish female and, and you had read it and were determined to make this story your own. Can you just kind of take our listeners through that process for you? Yeah, it was the first script that my agents gave to me when I went to William Morris. And they originally gave it to me as sort of like a, a tester. They wanted me to read the script and say, is this the kind of thing you're looking to do? So I read it, and the next morning I called and I said, this is exactly it, and I have to do this. I have an idea how I could change this and make this for me. I have to do it. Yes, 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 this is it. And they said, well, little problem. It belongs to Blake Lively. There's a director attached, and, and she's going to do it. But we just wanted to know if this is the kind of thing you wanted. So imagine my fury in that moment. I'm like, how do you give someone something this powerful and then say, but they can't have it? Or, you know, how do you do a taste test with something like this? So they said, you know, we feel your passion, but Blake's also our client, belongs to her. If she decides to not do it one day, it can maybe be yours. You'd have to go try to convince the producers, which was Basil Iwanek at Thunder Road, that it should be rearranged for someone like you. You could pitch it, but, you know, we were just trying to do this as a taste test. So I patiently waited for six months, but in that six months, I was diligently planning how I would reimagine it, how I would change the world, how I would change the characters, how I would create a, a role for a middle-aged you know, MMA fighter, not a young MMA fighter. And so when six months went by and Blake finally on her own volition passed, I was ready to go. And I thought, thank God, because I knew this movie had to be my film. And then I got to go to Basel and Thunder Road and pitch my idea, and they bought it. They thought, wow, yeah, this, this is really a compelling story. We say, yes, Hallie, you can, yes, you can star in this. And then they said, but you have to go get a director. <laughs> so I was like, I have to get a director? They said, yeah, go find a director to tell this story. And how did that search for a director go? Met with some really experienced directors, first-time directors, and the problem was because this reimagining was only in my head at the time, the script didn't reflect it. I only had my own notes and sort of a short synopsis of like how I would rearrange the world. When I talked to directors, what I realized is that nobody really saw it like I saw it. They didn't understand the world that I had in my mind. A lot of the world was from my own growing, from things that I absolutely knew to be true. I knew what it looked like because I'd been there in, in many ways. And the filmmakers that I, you know, were talking to, they really didn't quite see it. And I knew that I would work so hard to bring this character to life, all the training that I would do and the time that it would take. And I knew that it had to be in capable hands. And I say capable hands only in a sense to bring this world to life, right? Mm -hmm. Because this world was so important to me. The authenticity of this world mattered to me. And I realized that nobody got it and they wanted to change it in ways that didn't feel authentic for me or didn't feel right or take the story in different directions. And I didn't like the direction. They were losing the point of the story in my mind. 
So I finally went to Basel and I said, I can't find anybody. This is going to sound really crazy. Don't fall off your seat, <laughs> but I think I should, I should do this. And you know, I was even scared to say it because it sounded so ridiculous that I could play this big role and then have my debut be this film. But to my surprise, Basil said, okay, I, I've worked with actors who have directed. And I, one thing I know is that there's a lot of passion when an actor decides to do something like this. And I believe in you. And he said, yes, to my surprise. <laughs> was that also terrifying where you kind of secretly, did you want him to say yes? Or was part of you like, oh no, now I got to do it. No, I wanted him to say yes, but I'd be lying if I didn't say the minute he said yes, after I screamed at the top of my lungs in the office, when I was in my car driving home, tears streaming down my face that I got this opportunity, fear then like took over my whole body for probably a week. I was then stifled with fear thinking, oh God, now I have to go. I actually have to do this. And this is going to be really hard. It's interesting that you bring up fear because I've been talking about fear on this podcast all season. And I'm curious, how did you work through that fear? How did you get to the point where you were able to show up with confidence on that day, first day of shooting and say, action? You know, I think fear has been a big part of my life, you know, from a child throughout my career. And fear as a child, I was born into a family with an alcoholic father that was very abusive at times. And so I've dealt with fear and I've had to walk through fear and manage my fear for my survival. So I'm used to managing fear. When it came to this fear that sat down on me with this huge undertaking that now, you know, I was gifted with, I've been fearful my whole career. I've had to make a way out of nowhere. I've had to take chances and take risks and, you know, take parts that maybe I didn't want to take, but I had no choice but to take. There was fear that this would end my career. I remember when I said yes to Monsters Ball, when I fought to get that role, everybody said to me, this role could end your career, you know, with the nature of, you know, some of the, the sex scenes. And I was a young actor and, but I've always been like a moth to a flame. Fear doesn't stifle me it actually ignites me once I get past the initial feeling of the fear and I let it roll over me then I go right towards it and I manage to just walk through it and I put one foot in front of the other realizing that you can only make you know decisions that you have to make today and you make them you know to the best of your ability research everything you need to research make sure you're coming to the situation with a hundred percent of yourself and you've done all you can do. And then you just have to make choices and just put one foot in front of the other and keep going and assume that you're going to make mistakes along the way, assume you're going to make great decisions along the way, like assume it all. But you have to assume it and, and be OK with assuming it. That's how I get through it. And it's also this thing called fake it till you make it. You pretend like, you know, even if you don't know, you say, you know, and then you go figure it out. <laughs> Manifest it. What is it about this particular world that you gravitate to? I gravitate to one, the grittiness of it. It's kind of how I grew up. I gravitate to the fractured characters. You know, I know very well what it is to be fractured, what it is to live with pain, what it is to live with dysfunction, what it is to, to grapple with forgiveness and grapple with what you deserve in life and what you don't deserve with mental illness, with alcoholism, with drug addiction, like all of these things I understand. And it's it's a very real part of our world and our existence as humans. And these are things that I fundamentally 
understand these circumstances. I fundamentally understand and I understand the pain of it. And I understand the need to survive it mm-hmm. also and mm-hmm. to rise above your circumstance and to not be a victim of your circumstance, but actually thrive within that circumstance and not just survive. And it is possible. I'm an example of that. Mm-hmm. You are an example of that. You are the gold standard of, I love it. You said making a way out of no way. What you've done is it could be like a Harvard Business School case study of success. Mm-hmm. And I am so proud of you. And just watching you thrive at this third decade in this business has been such an honor. I just love it. And as you as Jackie are unrecognizable from the woman that I am looking at right now, which is also a testament, we're talking about the directing, but we need to talk about the acting because it's superb. And you, I know you trained, I can't even imagine how much you trained. I know it was years and what you had to train in and the physical toll on that body and the commitment and the focus that it took to get to the point where you could play Jackie. Yeah, it it was a long journey. Just take me through a day of what that kind of training was like. Training was all encompassing, you know? So for those years while I was training, I really wasn't doing much else, but training and being mom to my children. So training was waking up very early. You know, I had a nutritionist that I was working with. I'm diabetic. so putting my body through that kind of uh, strenuous exercise was really important that I made sure that I was eating all the right things and sort of staying healthy that way and keeping my diabetes under control. But it was starting very early in the morning, going to the gym and probably doing three or four hours of some kind of martial arts, jujitsu, taekwondo, muay thai. Usually I would end with wrestling. And then I would have a break and I would go do strength training where I just sort of do weights. I would do sometimes Pilates. Sometimes I would do hot yoga, something in the middle of the day. And then I would come back at the end of the day for more training. And I would do, you know, sort of combat training where I would actually not just be studying the disciplines. I would be like sparring and fighting with other um, MMA artists in each of the different disciplines so that I could really start to understand what it was to really fight and really spar. And then each day I would end with a recovery session because I learned that when you're working your body that hard, if you don't have the proper recovery. So I had a recovery specialist that for an hour at the end of each day would come and, you know, do all the stretching and check for injuries and give me adjustments. I would put my back out quite a few times. And so he would come and, you know, just sort of realign me so that I could start the next day fresh again. (laughs) That's what it was for at least a year and a half. That's what, what I did. Wow, wow. All right. Well, let's talk about the cast you assembled. Obviously, Valentina Shevchenko is a UFC champion. She's the real deal. And that is someone that you trained with and also someone that is in the final fight. And I love that moment in the ring when it's like that recognition of that only women can have. Like, wow, you did an amazing fight. Wow, you were great. No, you were great. Like, I love that the way you brought the feminine to this kind of this very masculine world or world yeah. that we've always viewed through a masculine lens. I yes. love that you brought that femininity to it. Yeah. Also what makes this movie interesting is never before has the reigning champion taken time out of their, you know, fight reigning schedule to go do a movie. And so to work with a real champion made all the difference because I thought about having a stunt woman fight with me or a fighter that was retired, but to fight with someone who was at the top of their game 
and to train alongside her and to learn from her, I think it heightened the level of our fight scene because she was the aficionado in there. She could tell me, this wouldn't happen like this. This move you're doing, Hallie, that's wrong. You don't do it like that. You do it like this. And she brought so much authenticity to the fight. And that was really important to me because Dana White said in the beginning, when I went to him and I said, I'm going to do this fight, I would love your support. And he said, if you make the fight scene realistic, don't make it flashy and do things that really don't happen or that happen in the fights once in a while. If you make it too dramatic and too much of a movie fight, I'm not down for that. But if you get in there and you make it real and you make me believe that I'm watching a real fight, then I'm all in with you. So I had the pressure of that. And so Valentina brought that to the, she brought that to me. She was my checks and balances every day. And she was just, just amazing. What did bringing her on board the project look like? We had a low budget, so I barely, didn't have much to give her. I just met with her and I said, I have to have you. I had to have a fighter that was really my weight class, 125, so it would be believable. And I said, you are the champ. And I know this sounds crazy that I'm going to take you out of, you know, your reign right now. You're busy training, and but I have to have you. <laughs> we hit it off right away. It's like we're kindred spirits. We just have this love fest for each other and we still do. And she was just great. She was game. She was very committed to training because she had to learn how to movie fight. I had to learn to fight. She had to learn how to movie fight, right? So she had to learn to pull her punches. She's been taught since she's four years old to kick through people and punch through things. So she had to learn to pull that all back, you know, so that I could, you know, keep my teeth. <laughs> and I had to learn how to perform these intricate high level martial arts you know, moves and disciplines at a level that looked like I had been doing it also all my life. So we both had something to learn and we both teach each other what the other one didn't know. I've been doing movie fighting for a very long time and she's been, you know, doing what she's been doing. So we really had a nice connection of energy and, and a good flow back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you, you elaborated on that because it is crucial to the film and that fight scene feels so authentic and it makes it just elevates the experience for the viewer watching the film because you are yeah. you are watching a sports movie and you don't pull back on the sports. We're kicking and punching and I broke two ribs on the second day of shooting our five day fight scene. Day two, I broke two ribs because when that camera gets rolling and your adrenaline is pumping, the kick started flowing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things happen. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Now, for me personally, the next when I turn on UFC and I'm going to watch an MMA fight, what should I be looking for now? What I'm watching now, what should I be noticing? Valentina Shevchenko, first of all. <laughs> Look for any fight with Valentina. And I mean this most sincerely. She is pound for pound. And I think a lot, a lot of people agree with me, one of the greatest to ever do it. She's like, gets called like the assassin. She is a master. She's been doing it since she's four years old. So I would say um, girl fights are really interesting. I think the women of the sport are really rising and they're making some really interesting fights. I think one thing you can look for, you know, if you're watching two boxers, you know that they're two fighters fighting and they're equally trained in stand-up English boxing usually. With MMA, what's interesting is you can have a great grappler, and by that I mean like a wrestler, right, or someone who is a jiu-jitsu artist. And when you do jiu-jitsu, you basically work on the ground and you get submissions, arm bars, rear naked chokes, things like that. When you're a stand-up fighter, you do Muay Thai, right, and so or you're boxing or you're kickboxing. 
So you can have two fighters equally talented in those two different like disciplines, stand-up fighter and a ground fighter. And what's exciting is you never know which way the fight's going to go because they're equally matched, but not in the same disciplines. So if a ground game fighter can get a great stand-up Muay Thai kickboxer to the ground, they've got a chance at winning easier than the artist that's really not versed in the ground game and vice versa. If a jujitsu artist gets caught with a, you know, a right hook, <laughs> you know, they can easily be taken out. So that's what I love about the game. All these disciplines are always at play. So it makes for exciting fights because anything can happen. And that's what keeps me coming back and keeps me watching again and again and again, the, mm. the sheer excitement of it. And what about capoeira? That's what I learned to do in Catwoman. It's a Brazilian form of martial arts. It's very much like has a dance quality to it, you know, kind of like a Jenga quality to it that I learned for Catwoman that I didn't really use very much, you know, in this film. But having that base, having learned that before, really helped me sort of tackle some of these other uh, forms of martial arts that I had to learn. Mm. So I want to talk about Sheila Atim, who plays Bobby Budokan, your head trainer. She was a revelation. She was the first person I cast. And the idea of who she was, I think it was very different in my producer's minds. You know, they had the traditional, I think, what a fight trainer looks like. And usually you think of that as being a man on top of that. But because this film was reimagined by a woman and a woman was directing it, I got to make it whatever I wanted. So I made the choice to make her a woman. And a woman that didn't really look like what they thought a trainer should look like either, you know? But for me, she was a revelation. The minute I saw her, I knew right away, that's my Budokan. That's who she is. And it had to be a woman. If your name is Budokan, you have to be able to carry that off, right? So there had to be just some otherworldly quality about her. And Sheila just, she just has that. Mm -hmm. She's just like a gazelle to me, like a beautiful gazelle that you can't stop watching. I couldn't stop looking at her ever. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. And your, your scenes, it, the evolution of that relationship, too, is really interesting to watch and integral to the storytelling and to Jackie's, like, her own personal involvement and her own power. And I thought it was interesting to see a female shoot both a male and female sex scene and a female female sex scene i wanted to talk to you about that as hallie the director and the actress because as an actress you have been directed in obviously a lot of sex scenes at various points in your career and as a director was there anything different that you learned along the way on how to shoot that particular scene or both of those scenes I, you know, I just wanted to bring as much honesty and truth to those scenes and highlight what the difference is between how we love and how we express love. And in the first love scene with Desi, my boyfriend in the movie at the start, their relationship is so dysfunctional. While there is a lot of love there at the core of it, it's also laden with a lot of dysfunction. And so they love in a very tumultuous way. They love as fighters sometimes love. You know, they're both fighters and they're both fractured in their own ways. And they're two people that probably shouldn't be together, but they are together. And that character loves her, but he's so fractured himself, he doesn't quite know how. And so their lovemaking or their sex is a reflection of how they're doing life together, right? 
And the love scene with Bobby is a reflection of how someone who has done work on themselves and who is a bit more evolved in certain ways, how that person understands what love is and the give and take of what a sexual exchange is really meant to be, right? So it was important for me to show the difference in the reality of those two relationships mm-hmm. and how differently different people love each other and the different downloads that we get from different people. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that it was a woman that really allowed Jackie to finally, for the first time, forgive herself. For the first time, this woman asked her, are you scared? You know, for the first time, somebody really cared about her, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's the first time in my mind she was ever really loved, just loved for who she was. Mm-hmm. And to give over to that was so healing, which is why she was able to go into that fight and not run and stay and do everything she did because she now had allowed herself to be loved and she forgave herself, you know, for leaving that kid. She realized that she was enough. She was worthy. She allowed herself to be loved in this beautiful, tender way. Mm-hmm. And it was like the air she needed to breathe. Mm-hmm. And she took it all. She finally allowed herself to take it all. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what form it came in. You know, yeah. love is love. And that was also part of what that scene was about. Love is love. And we can't always control what that looks like or who brings us that. But for her, she was free enough to be open to that experience. Mm-hmm. And she needed it. Like mm-hmm. I said, like the air to breathe. Oh, so so good and beautifully shot and well acted and all of that. Hallie, what? What is it like to direct yourself? I know it's a stupid question and it's so straightforward, but I think about like the physical demands for you to act in this film had to be incredible if you were just an actress alone. Like what you were just articulating about the fight sequences and how complicated that is because it, it has to be real, but it's movie fighting. Then the emotional scenes, then working with a, a child actor who's fantastic, by the way, Danny yes. Boyd, who plays Manny. He's incredible. Big will take care of little. And oh my God, I'd love that. All of that was so, so good. But for you, Hallie, what was it like on a, you know, a day of like, arriving when you have to be the director and also the actress that proved to be probably the most challenging part of it all and i had to remind myself that i was the actress because i was so invested in the director part of me that was the new part of you know what i was experiencing and so a lot of my focus in pre-production went to the director part of me and in the actor part of me i was focused on fighting but that's not really the acting part, that's the physical, that's the physicality that I was focused on. So the real actor, actor in me, I think um, got the least amount of attention in this whole process. So I would come to the set and I would rehearse the scene and I would realize that I would be more in my director head watching what the other actors were doing and trying to direct them and get them to good places. And so, and so they felt good and have conversations with them about their characters and the story that I would often forget. So I had a really close friend of mine. Her name is Denise Woods. She's a dialect coach and she was there to work with Desi and work with me on my, on my dialect to keep us, you know, where we all needed to be with our character. And, she was there for me because she would say to me from time to time, she was watching me and she would say, that was all great what you just did. And you directed everybody beautifully. Now go act, forget you're the director and go act. And I needed her to tell me that because I would forget to act. I, I was focused on being the director and that little nudging, that little 
reminder really proved to be very helpful for me. And the minute she said that, I go, oh, okay, you're right, I'm not acting. And then I could forget what everybody else was doing and just be this an actor in the scene like I was used to. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part of the day when you're working as a director? What did you most look forward to doing? I looked forward to first thing in the morning because that's when I got to greet everybody and we got to talk about you know, their concerns, we got to talk about the day. And I know as an actor, it's always important for me when the director would come into the makeup room and ask me, are you okay? Do you have any issues today? Do you want to talk about anything? That would always put me at ease and would let me know that they are open to the collaboration of working with me. And they really cared about, you know, how I was showing up today. So that was always a very special time. And I think I always looked forward to when a scene was complete, when we made it through a scene. It was such a feeling of camaraderie with the other actors, and uh, we all felt so satisfied, and we felt the gratification, and that was always a nice moment when we realized, okay, we'd high five, okay, one more down. You know, we all, we felt like it, we were in it together, really together, and because I'm an actress, they, they saw me as an actress probably before a director in many instances. So we felt like we were such a, an ensemble, like a, a, a close knit team. So when we got through a scene, we all, we just felt a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Sports fans need to see this movie because it is a, it is a sports film, but it doesn't have all the, the kind of tropes, right? Because it is directed by a woman, because it is focused on a woman in kind of a man's world. I know you're a lover of classic fight movies, as am I, of like Rocky, Raging Bull, Girl Fight. But I'm curious, what tropes were you keen to disrupt with Bruised? I'll tell you what I was trying to infuse the movie with. Mm -hmm. And that was a strong female point of view, which meant for me um, talking about what it is to be a woman and juggling your motherhood with your career. You know, her career happened to be a fighter, but... It was about how do we juggle those two things? You know, how do we give equal attention to the two things that are, you know, innately our calling, right? Mm -hmm. And I think many times when I've seen movies just about, you know, men who are fighters, you don't see them juggling fatherhood and their fight game, right? Because they just get to be fighters. And the mother, if they have children, is somewhere taking care of their children. But for women, that's not our case. Everything we do, if we're mothers, we have to juggle, you know, our lives in ways that men just don't have to do. So that was really important to me. It was important to me to bring the complexity of women, the the complicated relationships we have with our parents, that mothers have with daughters, that mothers have with their children. Jackie had that complication with her son. The complication we have with our partners you know, as women, they affect us in ways, I think, that they don't affect men all the time. So those things were important. And the world was really important. This is a world that that really does exist. You know, there are people living sort of, you know, in the margins this way and struggling to survive and struggling to make a way for themselves and to be seen and to be heard. And that was really important. That's a world that I come from. So I understood it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially as a woman to be seen and to be heard. Mm-hmm. I should say the actress that plays your mother, that's another great, amazing dynamic in this film too. Because we, we have such complicated relationships mm-hmm. with my mother, you know, and, and this cycle of abuse that, you know, you know, I found out through 
interviewing so many fighters. Now, this isn't every fighter's case, so I'm not trying to say that, but what I've found, what my research process taught me was that men and women fight for very different reasons. Men fight to be the breadwinners of their family. They fight for stature to get them out of the ghetto or get them out of poverty. You know, that when you think about traditional fighters, you know, most people don't choose to get punched in the face. There's, there's a real reason you choose to do that you know, lack of having a different circumstance. And so you make a way out of no way. Women, I found through my research, fight to get their power back, to get their voice back. Many of them have been abused sexually and emotionally um, and physically. And they're fighting to feel whole and to feel strong and to feel powerful again, because that has been stripped from them, albeit childhood or early adulthood or wherever. And so it was important for me to put that element into the film because it, it kept coming up again and again and again in my research. And I thought that was a big difference between why men and women fight. And, and it, that was important to put in there. Mm-hmm. I feel like women, we just fight every day of their lives. <laughs> we're, we're always fighting in one way or another, not like physically mm-hmm. throwing punches. You talk about fighting to find their power. And what's interesting to me is like watching your career that you have you fought your way through Hollywood. You fought your way through to get taken seriously, to be more than the you know prettiest girl in the room. Like you have so much more than just what's on the outside. And I feel like this film for you gives you so much more power because now this really solidifies you being the director of your own destiny and especially in this business because you are now a director, Hallie. You have done it. You are now a director. If you choose to take this mission, <laughs> you can go on and direct endless stories, some that you are not in. I imagine that would probably be like a vacation not to direct direct yourself. But I do, think it, I do think it's important when I look back at your career. And I someone told me this, and I've repeated it many times when I've kind of talked to young actors on their way up about, you know, 10 years from when you're you decide to be an actor, you'll make it. And I just looked at your IMDb. And in 1991, I think it was Jungle Fever was your first film. And then in 2001, you made Monsters Ball. So 10 years of filmmaking. Okay. Yes. 2001, you make Monsters Ball. Then in 2002, you get the Oscar for that role. And you are the first and only black woman to win an Oscar for Best Actress. And I remember that moment so well. I remember your speech. I remember the tears. I remember the dress. It's a whole other story of why why that is a record in and of itself. But for you to have to own that space is, is also extraordinary. And then I also read that you were talking about you thought they were going to, you know, the scripts were going to be fighting their way in the mail, right? Like this is going to be a game changer. Oh, my God, it's all going to be coming. Uh, and that wasn't the case. It changed no. you for sure. Obviously, that experience is it changes definitely oh, yeah. parts of the course of your career. And you had done Dorothy Dandridge as well. I should say another amazing performance that you got an Emmy for. But you've continued to stay relevant, to pivot, to be nimble, to then, oh, John Wick, yeah, I'm going to go be in that. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm going to go show everybody, which happens to be one of my favorite franchises. So you know I was so excited to oh, see wow. you in that. Love that. Love Keanu and Hallie. I'm like, I am so in for this. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those decisions that you made along the way and kind of what do you see for yourself in the next decade? Right. Like, what do you want to do? I definitely want to direct. 
I now have, you know, I now know that I can, you know, and I now am so grateful to be living in a time where women actually um, are being supported and, um, and, and, and it's real. We are, you know, allowed to tell our stories. You know, it's not easy, but you know, I don't know if making any movie is necessarily easy. You know, it's, it's hard to do. So I'm grateful that I'm, you know, living in this time. Dorothy Dandridge never realized this moment, you know, and I get to, and I'm really grateful that I, that I get to be here during this time. So definitely tell more stories. I will probably, I mean, I should have learned by now, never say never. I said, I'd never get married after my first divorce and I did it two more times. So I probably shouldn't say never, but I'm not looking to star in and direct ever again. This just had to happen this way. I realized, call it destiny, call it, you know, me accepting that destiny and taking on that challenge. I've never been afraid of risks. You know, you don't win big if you don't risk big. I've always believed that. So, but I do want to direct more, but probably be behind the camera. I think acting and directing each job is largely enough. Mm -hmm. So I think I would focus on more telling. I've got so many stories, so many ideas and things that I want to do that I think I'd rather focus this next chapter of my life more there Mm -hmm. if I can it's kind of interesting that you say we're, you know, being around for this moment is kind of amazing. I experience it on my own personal level being in this business. I'm so happy I'm still alive and working to see this moment for women because we know when it I, wasn't the case. I remember I, I got told, you know what I got told? I got told around 1992 that I really wanted a role in a film. It was for a forest ranger. I got told there are no black forest rangers. Mm. You can't play this role. There's no such thing as a black forest ranger. I mean, that has stuck in my mind for all of these years that when I started, people had the audacity to actually say that, you know, and realizing where we sit now, we've come a long way. And while people say to me, well, there's no woman that sits next to you winning the Academy Award. And while that's heartbreaking, and I wish there were, I also am inspired by what women of color are doing. We're everywhere. We're doing all kinds of things. You know what I mean? So you have to start asking yourself, is it important to have an award? Because while that award is the pinnacle of success for me, and it's my highest honor, and I'm grateful for it, it also didn't change my workflow. It didn't change my life. I've had to work hard every single day since the moment I walked home with that gold guy. So I don't know if winning the award should be our focus. It should be being able to do the work you know, and put the stories in the world and act as actors and have more female and female of color directing, writing, producing, you know, DPing, you know, production designing, like in all aspects of filmmaking, that would feel more like a win than counting how many people have awards. I'm not so sure if awards mean what people think they mean for everybody, Mm -hmm. because for me, it didn't, it, it didn't make my, my journey easier. It didn't. It didn't make the journey easier, but it sure made me proud of myself, you know, uh, but it didn't make my journey any easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your journey as a mother has been amazing because I should also, I also want to let everybody know that you changed the game in 
Los Angeles for sure about paparazzi and children. And now ever when I look at those pictures and I see those blurred faces, I think that's Halle Berry. And I remember talking to you at a, a mutual friend's wedding about this, and you were right in the middle of it. And you yeah. said that we are in uncharted territory. Like, I don't, we don't know what this is doing to our kids. I mean, that Hollywood's always had, you know, famous children, right? Children of famous people. That That's not new. But what was new was this incredibly invasive paparazzi, cameras, screaming their names, jumping out of bushes, doing all that stuff. And I, it just so stuck with me. Like, we don't know the damage that this is doing to these kids. And yeah. you fought to change that. And you know what? And I can tell you, my daughter, my son didn't suffer this at all because the um, Senate Bill 606 got passed. I was pregnant with him when all that happened. So he had a different reality. But my daughter who lived through that, I can see the effects it had on her now that she's 13. I can really see um, the young woman she developed into. I see the effects of those years. Uh, I, I see a little bit of social anxiety that she has and I attribute it to those years when she was afraid to leave the house, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's working her way through all of that. And I know that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. I, I know that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. Well, it's incredible what you did. So I'm just saying it now for the record. All right, Hallie, before I let you go, I want to ask you to talk to the young people out there that look up to you, look at your career, want to have a career in this business. What advice do you have for them? It's important that they stay true to themselves. You know, I know in, in, in pursuing my dream to direct this movie, I had to defend it a lot. I had to be clear-minded about why I wanted to tell the story, the story that I wanted to tell. So I would say be clear-minded, be relentless in your pursuit, and stay true to your own creative and artistic ideals because you're going to be the one that has to shepherd it through. And when you really own your creative ideas, the outcome really doesn't matter because if you never feel like you sold out to someone else's ideas, but yet you're standing on your own merit, then you can live with the outcome. Because at the end of the day, you can say, I did it my way for better or for worse. This is what I wanted to do. And I think it's easier to assume um, success and failure when that's how you've approached it, right? So I would say stick to your own um, ideals and, and be relentless in pursuing whatever that is you want to do. And, you know, we live in a world now where we don't have to accept, no, you can't do that. We can challenge that. We can stand up. As women, we can say, excuse me, I can't do what? Watch me. We have to stay relentless, though, in our pursuit of that. And I think all things are possible. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for making this movie. Thank you for putting it out there. Thank you for choosing Netflix, because I feel thank like it, it's going to be seen by the world. And it's, it's such yes. a... A great achievement. So I congratulate you. I'm sending you love. And I'm so grateful for because you know what? In the old days, maybe this movie wouldn't be seen. Mm -hmm. So Netflix does assure me that people will see it. And that's that's a really good feeling when you work so hard at something. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Bruised is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company.